Hey folks, this is Jesse Coach, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, as always, wherever you are and whatever part of the day it is for y'all. Going to take one of our little walks. We have one puppy dog so far. Pretty gorgeous day. Garden got a little rain and got a little bit of cooler weather. Spring's trying to hold on just a little bit before summer comes in and completely bakes us. For those of y'all that have been Listen, the past few weeks, we had a turkey that hatched some chicks, and she's all the way down to one, but she has managed to keep the one alive for the last few days, so we'll see. I've probably just jinxed her, but at any rate. For those of y'all that give me a little bit of your time every few days, each week, thank you so much. I I do appreciate it, and I know how precious it is. And for those of y'all that continue to share the podcast and to swell the number of listeners, I'm a little shocked and humbled and grateful. So thank y'all so much. So we're going to go back. I'm sure y'all can hear all the birds in the background among the other various and sundry noises. We're going to go back to this Churchill biography, the second in this trilogy by Manchester. And I'm going to read a little bit about just the atmosphere and what was going on in the 1930s, early 1930s. Because it's, I think that you'll see it without my commentary, really, although I obviously will make some, but There's some striking similarities, folks, between 1930s Germany and 20-teens and 2020s America right now uh, that I feel like should really be concerning to anybody that's paying attention. So I'm going to start with this little bit, and I think I read part of this last time, but I wanted to go back to it again. In Berlin, the world's longest breadline stretched down one of the main streets that I can't pronounce, folks, I apologize. Over 15 million Germans were on the dole. In the streets, husky brown-shirted stormtroopers wearing their high-crowned caps and black-on-white-on-red swastikas, which literally translates hooked cross clubbed and battered men suspected of leftist sympathies, Jews of every age and sex, and anyone who failed to raise a stiff-armed heil when a Nazi band marched past under the banner of Germany awake. None of this was in itself extraordinary. In 1932, hunger and bloodshed haunted every great capital. But there was a significant difference in Germany. And I'll get to that in just a second, folks. But So a couple of these things to me that were really startling are the the bread line, the number of people that were on the dole, so to speak, that, that the government was taking care of 
because we have a huge percentage in America today of people that are either taking unemployment, welfare, any number of organizations, institutions that are giving taxpayer money to Americans. And so that's similar. You might make the argument that it's even worse today in America than it was in Germany in 1932. And I do take issue with one comment here. This comparison with when they refer to the left and right, that does not translate to modern America today because the, the fascist ideology falls much more in line with socialism, communism, leftism seen in America today, not what you would consider the modern American right. It's kind of like the quote that I read a few podcasts back from Anne Rind. Socialism, fascism, communism, Nazism, and I added leftism, they're all just different shades of the same monstrous evil. They're all just different paths to get to the same destructive end, folks. So I take a little bit of issue with that. But then the other comparison here, the the brown shirts, if you're not familiar with them, they were kind of the political enforcers of the Nazis. And we've really kind of seen borderline, regardless of what your opinion of coronavirus and the vaccine, we've really seen just a hint of that, maybe in some places more than a hint, over the past couple of years where if people didn't follow the medical mandates, and this was not a lethal virus, folks, less than 1%, right? This wasn't, you're not talking about the Spanish influenza. Uh, and, and I'm ignorant on the subject. I have a little bit of basic biology knowledge, but this wasn't Ebola where you have a 95% lethality, lethality rate. So the idea that the government can come in and we're just going to randomly shut down, we're going to say we're going to shut down churches, we're going to shut down businesses that are, quote, non-essential, unquote. You know, it's, it's easy to say it's non-essential when your paycheck doesn't depend on it. It's easy for somebody in power to go, oh, we don't really need you. It's a lot more painful and, and very real for the person that's running that business whose family depends on that paycheck in order to put food on the table. And so I see some similarities between some of our law enforcement agencies today and these brown shirts in the early 30s. Going back to this section from this Churchill biography, the drafters of Versalis had mutilated the Kaiser's Second Reich in every way except the one which counted most. The internal structure of the Wilhelm or Willemine Germany had been left intact because the judges in Weimar courtrooms had belonged to the pre-war privileged class and regarded the Republic as a puppet regime installed by enemies of the Reich. Nazi street fighters who murdered their political opponents in broad daylight 
<clears throat> with dozens of witnesses testifying against them, received suspended sentences and five mark fines. Five marks was not a lot, apparently, at that point. At the same time, supporters of the Republic were sentenced to long prison terms for revealing in speeches or newspapers that the Reichs were was rebuilding the army in defiance of Germany's pledge to the Allies. Franz L. Newman writes, It is impossible to escape the conclusion that political justice is the blackest page in the life of the German Republic. I, I would really defy you to listen to that and not see the comparisons, not just within the last five or ten years or even fifteen but the last 80 years with the Supreme Court in the United States. We talk about this so often, the decision of the Supreme Court bodies of separation of church and state have been so horrific and are so unmoored to American history and heritage. The only possible Solutions there, the only possible reasons were either gross ignorance on the part of those justices or malevolence. The Roe v. Wade is another one. And then, if you look at the riots within the past three years of Black Lives Matter and Antifa in cities like Portland, Chicago, take your pick. There's a number of very leftist cities. It was just a revolving door. These people that destroyed statues, destroyed history, burned courtrooms, ransacked businesses, and you still see it going on in places like California where they've continued to lessen the consequences lessen the sentences for criminals. We're not punishing criminals anymore. We're just letting them right back out on the street. Illegal immigration is another perfect example. If the analogy that I've used before with bank robbing, it's like we're saying to the bank robber, oh, well, you just come on in and take what you want. And, and the difference, I guess, is that the illegal immigrants aren't even leaving. They're just setting up camp in the bank. And so this justice is this quote here. It's just so distorted right now. It's, it's, it's hard to even see justice in the country. And it goes back, really, a lot of it to these judges, these justices that have started to make laws instead of interpreting them. And it's, it's at any rate, folks, it's just that I see a comparison there that's pretty disturbing. And the reason I think all of these are disturbing as we go through them, folks, is because if you had these same or similar actions going on in 1930s Germany, why would we think that the end result, if, if history shows us what happens, and, and this is just one example, folks, the same, these same types of things happened in 
Stalinist Russia and Maoist China and so many of these socialist and communist countries. If history shows us then again and again that this happens, why do we think that this wouldn't happen in the United States of America? Why do we have this fantasy that we're going to be immune to the consequences of these actions? Leniency was extended even to those for whom the aristocracy had little sympathy. After the armistice, Munich became the center of revolutionary conspiracies, including the successful plot to kill Renathu and Hitler's unsuccessful push of 1923, an act of high treason in which 19 men lost their lives while the Nazi leader fled the scene and hid from the police. Tracked down and arrested, Hitler spent only nine months in Landsberg prison, cosseted by every comfort the warden could provide, including writing materials. When he left his spacious, quote, cell, unquote, he carried the manuscript of Mein Kempf under his arm, and as he emerged from the prison gate, his supporters held him as a victorious hero. Until the Depression, the Nazis had been a lunatic fringe. In 1928, they polled some 810,000 votes, 2.6% of those cast. The economic crisis brought them swollen rolls and made Hitler a national figure. Oswald Spengler wrote, in the heart of the people, the Weimar Constitution is already doomed. Two elections, 1930 and 32, demonstrated that the Nazis, although shy of a working majority, had emerged as the country's largest political party. It was also the most violent. We want a dictatorship, Hitler cried, and his deputies left no doubt of their scorn for democratic procedures. I, I see a lot of similarities there, too, folks, and, and the left. You want to mail in ballots, you want to harvest ballots, you want to do whatever you need to do to make sure that you win. Uh, the violence encouraged again by so many political leaders, but really the fascinating thing then and the disturbing thing now is that how many everyday citizens saw the violence for example, of, of Black Lives Matter and Antifa, and yet continued to to support those movements. And, and this idea that this is a lunatic fringe today, that these are the crazy leftists, it never has really panned out to me. If, if they were really a lunatic fringe, at some point, they would go away, or at least people would, would ignore them. But they're still here. Why are they here? Because we continue somebody somewhere. We have enough support for them. Just like the Nazis stayed around, stayed around until they got their opportunity. Because the, there was a section of the German population that supported them. We have the same situation here, folks. With few exceptions... Churchill among them. Let me go back and read one other thing. In the Reichstag and the Prussian Diet, they wore their uniforms, swung, this is kind of like the, 
I'm assuming the, the, the Congress or at least some legislative body in Germany, swung their fists and clubs and disrupted any session which seemed about to reach agreement on a substantive issue by hurling any object which came to hand, including, according to one account, inkwells, water bottles, desk drawers, chairs, ledgers, broken table legs. Having driven all others from the chamber, the Nazis spent the next half hour triumphantly singing old war songs. I think you see a little bit of that too, folks. When, when you can't win on the merit of your ideas, you just start to shout down your opponents and silence them and censor them. You certainly see that with big tech, Twitter. That's you know, you you look around today. The fact that the left is absolutely losing their mind that Elon Musk, who is not a conservative, folks, by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not as far left as the people that have been traditionally running Twitter. The fact that they're losing their mind that he might actually buy Twitter because they're terrified of freedom of speech. The modern left, and this is, again, this is not national politicians, folks. These are everyday people, our family, our friends, our neighbors. They're terrified. This is why, and this all goes back to separation of church and state, you can't talk about God in education. You can't talk about marriage, God's roles for men and women, the rules set up for marriage and sex and families, right? Which again, as we talk about on this podcast all the time, our nation was built upon the teachings of Christ. So the fact that we have publicly funded education, for example, but really it spreads across the institutions. You want to talk about police or firefighters or any public institution, the fact that we can't base policy and talk about even talk about God and Jesus Christ and the teachings and the commands there seems really similar to these Nazis that would just absolutely shout down and silence and censor anybody that spoke out against them. With few exceptions, Churchill among them, foreign politicians were unalarmed by Hitler. To time, amused by his pretentiousness, Hitler was a bristle-lipped, slightly pot-bellied 43-year-old who stroked the tuft of his brown mustache. Those with no command of the German tongue regarded him as a comical figure bearing a close resemblance to Charlie Chaplin. Even foreign correspondents underrated him. They reasoned that the heart of the Nazi constituency lay in the lower middle class and that upper classes would be alienated by the party's leader whose wartime rank had been that of corporal. Until 1932, they had been right. National socialism had been a stigma. Among well-born Germans, the Nazi party was regarded as coarse. But that autumn, they were beginning to understand that the door of history had been shut on their Augustan age of princes and potentates and plumed marshals and glittering little regular armies. On all the fanfare and aid that had marked their disciplined, secure world. In the waning autumn of 1932, when Americans were voting Franklin D. Roosevelt into the White House, the German patriciate was reassessing its view of Hitler. The eminent Deutsch Zetnug, always reflective of their opinion, abruptly abandoned its, I think that was a national magazine, folks, abruptly abandoned its hostile treatment of National Socialism and urged Reich President Hindenburg to overcome his strong personal dislike of the Nazi leader and appoint him Chancellor. 
in the interests of tranquility required for business revival. Two things here. Uh, that was there was a lot of extra words I didn't really care too much about there, folks. But one thing, national socialism. I mean, that was the Nazi party. So anytime you hear people say that socialism doesn't lead there when they're talking about the USSR or or Nazis. No, it does. It was in their name. They claimed it. That's exactly where socialism leads time and again. That's why the United Socialist Soviet Republic, right? Nazis, National Socialist Party, socialism leads to communism, leads to totalitarianism. It's all down the same path, folks. Leftism, that's where the left is dragging us in America today. And the other thing, this business revival, right? This this idea continually crops up that we can be fiscally conservative, but not but socially liberal. It's a fairy tale. It's a lunacy. There's no possible way because eventually your lack of morals socially are going to bleed over into your business morals and you're going to start to cut corners and make decisions that are immoral there. You have to have social morality first and foremost. That's why all our founders talked about the fact that you need a moral and religious people. You need a virtuous people. Constantly harped on that. Uh, Patrick Henry's quote that we used, I think, last podcast about, and which President Grant also used this quote uh, from the Bible, from Proverbs, sin is a reproach to any people, but righteousness exalts a nation. Business sense is irrelative. Uh, it's, it's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant if you don't have the morality to guide it. I don't know how much time we've got here, folks. Let me check. Ooh, we're over. I want to read one more thing, and then I'll let you go. This is probably the, the thing I wanted to read most. January 30th, 1933, Hitler was sworn in as chancellor. Pandora's box was pried open. And as Hitler preferred, he was called Reich Chancellor, Chancellor of the Empire. His expression caught by a cameraman was one of ecstasy. With his grasp of the Teutonic mind, the German mind, he knew that now, having acquired authority by legal means, he would be accepted and obeyed by the German people, and that if he continued to pay lip service to Weimar's constitution, he could use it to destroy itself. How many times over the last 80 years, how many times in your lifetime, folks, have you heard somebody on the left talk about something's constitutional, but they only use it when they want to. And every time they use it in a way that, even if just slightly undermines that very constitution. I go back to education a lot because it's so devastating to our children and to the future of our country. But we can't have free public education using taxpayer money that undermines the very foundation of our country. If we're going to have public education, it's got to strengthen and support those pillars and that foundation of education. Hitler knew that he could pretend to hold to the Constitution long enough to destroy the Constitution and take over completely. The left knows that too, folks. They know that if they can undermine, as they have with education, if they can undermine, they can pretend that they really want those founding values or whatever. They're standing up for freedom of press, freedom of religion, but they're not really. They're undermining those freedoms. They're doing exactly the opposite of what they say, and we've let them because we've taken God out of the center of the classroom. We've taken God out of the center of our institutions, out of our public policy, taken Jesus Christ out. 
taking it out of our families, taking it out of our courtrooms. And look what's happened. Our Constitution is just in tatters, folks. At any rate, I, I went much longer here, folks, and I really apologize. I've done it the last couple of times. Hopefully, y'all are getting something out of it. These comparisons, these things, the between early 1930s Germany and America today, it's really disturbing, folks. You, you, you can't do the same things and expect a different result. I think Einstein quoted that as the definition of insanity. We can't follow the same footsteps that we've seen in history in other countries at other times and expect a different result. And yet we're, we're doing that, this rejection of God, the illegal immigration, the critical race theory, the bigotry, uh, the feminism, the, the tyranny by justice, by judges. I mean, the, the whole nine yards, you go down this list that we talk about so often. We're headed down the same path. And if we don't start to wake up and, and learn from history and really turn around, we're going to end up either in Nazi Germany, in USSR, the Soviet Union, in Maoist China, or we're going to end up in the middle of a fight. And one of the ways that I talk about, and I'm going to end here, folks, that I talk about so often is wherever you are, these conversations that are so uncomfortable that we typically don't have, this is not a moment of time anymore to be politic or polite. This is a moment of time where those people that you really care about, you really need to have these conversations. You don't have to talk about them necessarily all the time like we do here on this podcast, but you certainly need to talk about them regularly, especially history. You need to back up what you're saying with historical facts and, and at least try and break through so that someday your children and your grandchildren can't look back at you and say, man, maybe if you had just tried a little bit harder, mom and dad, I wouldn't be standing in a bread line waiting to get food from the government to feed my family, afraid to speak. Or I mean, we'll come back and talk about it sometime or in a concentration camp like the Nazis set up. I didn't have time to get to that today. Long enough, folks. Thank you all so much. <laughs> Thank you all so much for the continued feedback. I, I really appreciate that. It means a lot. Uh, I take it to heart. I try and filter through and use, use the really good ones, and I hope that that shows. And I hope that you all are getting something out of it. I hope that our country is. God bless you all. God bless your families. God bless America, and we will talk to y'all again real soon. Look forward to it every time, folks. Thank y'all so much.